As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And welcome to From the Rooker End, a podcast about following Watford FC brought to you by The Athletic. It is Sunday morning and it is the glorious morning after Watford won 4-1 at home to Preston North End. Uh, my name is John, with me is Michael. Yes, it's the morning after the day before. <laughs> oh, that's hey? terrible. Uh, and Jason. Lovely. It's, uh, it's looking a bit foggy out there, but I don't care. It's, it's a lovely morning. Good morning. Certainly. Uh, Mike, you know, you were not in a great place uh, <laughs> after the Bristol City game, to say the least. If anyone did listen to that podcast, uh, first half is Mike basically hopefully calming down as we discuss things. And the second half <laughs> is an interview with Abla Decore. But, but Mike, you know, we, we saw the, the draw away at QPR, which felt like a loss because the second half was terrible. Yep. Then we saw quite a dull but functional yep. game against Bristol City. And then you see today's game. There's no way you cannot say in that week there was significant progress in that Watford squad and performances. The thing I didn't like about the, the Bristol City No, game, no, you can't start with a negative, Mark. Oh, come I, on. The thing I didn't like was the lack of, a, a, a perceived from my end, lack of intensity, lack of cohesion, lack of attacking threat. And of course, that's a, a way against a team who is in the playoff promotion mix, a point away at Bristol City with a clean sheet on the face of it, is a good result. However, I just felt that the team we have, we should be posing more of an an attacking threat. We should be imposing ourselves more on games. The game against Preston was exactly that. I thought they were on the front foot. They were more vocal. They were more intent. They were more intense. uh, They were more cohesive. They looked like they wanted to keep the ball moving forward and to put the Preston goal under threat. And they did that throughout. Lo and behold, we have to say it was a weakened Preston side, but they still look good um, and they've been a brilliant away from home. They, they, they threatened early on, but Watford were, looked just more cohesive, 
throughout. They looked like the the name of the game was to score goals. Everything that I didn't like about the game on uh, on Wednesday at Ashton Gate was remedied here. Watford got their mojo back against Preston, certainly in the second half, and it was it was a, a joy to behold. Uh, we're going to run down the players, talk through the players, and put them in a the top ten of the pick of the players. <laughs> The all-round performance, as we said, was was amazing. Um, and let, let's go through them back to front. Jason, Ben Foster, you can't put him at number one because in, in, in a game like this, he, he didn't do too much. Is, is he top, middle or bottom of our top ten, Ben Foster? I, <laughs> I know. Where'd you, where'd you stick him? Because he, he had, literally had nothing to do. Apart from there was uh, he had to make a, a save, a sharp save in the first half when Andre Gray made a... Uh, a back pass, <laughs> which didn't quite find the right target. <laughs> Bauer had a, had a good chance to score. Foster raced out quickly and made a good save. Nothing he could do about the goal, uh, the goal at all. Uh, uh, an unfortunate deflection left him wrong-footed, right in the corner anyway. Even if he'd gone for it, I think there's probably little chance of him getting it. Other than that, there wasn't, wasn't much at all to do. I don't think, unfortunately for Ben, that there's a, a lot of good performances out there of players that were actively involved in the game that quite rightly will go above him. So he's probably going to be in the bottom third, unfortunately, despite not doing anything wrong. He can't complain too much because he's literally number one on the team sheet. So we, we, 12 players we're going to talk about. Two of them are going to miss out. For now, he's in it. <laughs> but let, let, let's see. Just in front of him, Mike, were Cascart and Cabaselli. Now, brilliant just calm, almost like the fact that they felt so cohesive as a pair because they played with each other mm-hmm. so, so much over the last few years as a, a centre two. That's a common theme that is coming through this season. There's lots of younger players coming through, less experienced players coming through. And you do look around and think, oh, well, actually, there isn't that much experience on the pitch. But of course, Cathcart and uh, and Cabaselli do have that. So you want them to be to be solid you, and you need them to be solid even more so as a as a centre back pairing and if you have Ben Foster doing well in goal and then the centre back pairing in front of the, of him doing well as well that is a good <laughs> pretty good basis for a, a defensive unit isn't it and they often Cathcart in particular you very rarely notice him because he's sensible dependable and reliable, and I think that was the case again yesterday for the most part. And the same goes for for Christian Cabaselli. Now, the thing about Cabaselli is, I do I love him. I th- I really like him. I think he comes across as a great bloke. Uh, I think he enjoys his game. He wears his heart on his sleeve, which I, I quite like to see. I think he's quite an emotional guy. I think he's very good, but I do think he has the odd lapse of of concentration. And there was a moment yesterday. I think it was actually at two one. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Where um, we could have easily given away a penalty, and I think that's a combination of of Cabaselli and Cathcart to to blame potentially for that one. I haven't seen it back yet, but it looks to me on first viewing like it like it should have been a penalty. And I think there was two two of the Preston media team were in front of me where I was sat in the Sir Elton John stand yesterday, and they, and they were intently looking at replays, and there was a bit of shaking ahead and sucking of teeth, suggesting that that could have been a penalty. Whilst they were great throughout and did what they had to do throughout, that moment could have cost us. Because if it was two one, if I'm remembering correctly, I think I think it might have been three one, Mike, at the time. But even so, it still still lets them back into the game, doesn't it? If they score that, yeah, you know, and and yeah, it changes the complexion of it, doesn't it? And you can't, you know, lauded them for for being you know experienced and 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 solid. You make one mistake that lets the opposition back in. 
you haven't really done your job, have you? So it didn't get given. It could have got given. And I'm being hyper, hypercritical because I think they both they both had a good game. I think, you know, the defence is looking solid, largely down to, to, to those two guys, I, I think. I think they're a, they're a great sort of base for us to, to build the side from. So when we're ranking them... Are they above or below Ben? I think they have to go above Ben because they had they've they've got a lot more to do, and the reason that Ben Foster didn't have so much to do is down to is down to your defenders playing well. I'd love to see us just real stamp out those mistakes because I was thinking, oh, just for, uh, as Preston moved forward towards the end, I thought, oh, does four two sound as good as four one? Will that give us the same? <laughs> and it just you? doesn't. <laughs> it's terrible, <laughs> isn't it? But I think above above Ben Foster, I thought, largely speaking, they they were great, and I'm I'm really feeling that that centre back partnership at the moment. So let's see where they end up in the, in the final 10. At the moment, Ben, it's not looking good. Uh, Kiko and Jeremy Ngakia. I like to call him Jeremy. My, one of my favourite bands is Pearl Jam. They've got a song called Jeremy. You don't have many Jeremys. And do you know what, John? You're like this then, John. All the players call him Jeremy as well. Oh. And I thought that's quite refreshing that he's not Jezza or Jay or <laughs> Ngax or something like that. Do you wonder if his mum came round the training game and said, don't you dare call my son <laughs> Jezza. You must use his full name. <laughs> I christened him Jeremy. You will call him Jeremy. But yeah, they all call him Jeremy. So uh, I wonder if he's, uh, if he's painting pictures in class today. Oh, very good. Well, for the hardcore Pearl Jam fans there. Um, Jason, him and Kiko... The wider positions of the four, but they were getting forward quite a lot. We've talked about both of them being absolutely brilliant and almost not not having perfect games of football, but every time both of them play, they impose themselves on the game. Mm. Another one, it, it just absolute consistency from these two and what they add to our complete game, defence and attack. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've um, been singing Kiko's praises all season, really. I've, I've been very impressed with him. Um, you you worry someone like Kiko who has performed well for us in the Premier League whether he thought the championship would be below him whether there was a chance and there was a chance that he was going to move away but he's ended up staying but it appears he's not been sulking he's not sitting back and waiting for a, a January move he's got on with it and he's put in some very good performances what I liked yesterday about those two was the fact that they were both attacking as a pair I think traditionally a four-four-two, you kind of expect if one fullback's going to attack, the other is going to sort of sit back, tuck in and defend. But it seemed that it was probably Chalibur sort of sitting back with the back two, allowing both fullbacks to attack. And they did it to, to great effect. We know so far this season we like to switch the ball sort of from flank to flank quite quickly. So to have those two both in attacking positions at the same time really does help that and, and helps us to, to keep the ball in the opposition half as it did yesterday. Keep the press on if we lose the ball um, and just yeah give options for the for the attacking players to pass to. I was worried about our left flank with Kiko down there and with Keener playing there slightly out of position I was worried we had players that would want to either move the ball onto their right foot or tuck inside and I was worried that we weren't going to get the width but actually that didn't affect the play and I thought as a I know we'll talk about Keener later but Kiko and Keener as a pair I thought played very very well and Ngakia again a, a solid performance from him I, I think he's been very unlucky in that with the performances of Kiko and Ken Semmer, he's he's not had much of a chance to get back into the side when the other two have been playing well and he hasn't actually been that far behind them in terms of performance. It, it seems to be with Ken's absence, whether that's COVID or not, let's call it Schrodinger's COVID. <laughs> Perhaps we'll find out after the event. Um, 
he's now got his opportunity and he's grabbed it. Yeah, sort of grabbed the ball by the horns and he's, he's put in some decent performances again yesterday. Hardly put a put a foot wrong. Uh, Preston, perhaps what helped is Preston didn't have any sort of naturally wide players. But I noticed, I think, Tom Barkusian was playing down that left-hand side. He's a name that crops up every now and again when people talk about Preston. I think he's quite an attacking threat. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, he got the goal. But I think most of the time he was being mentioned in his own half of the pitch. It's the quality of Ngaki's play that was sort of limiting his threat and forcing him to play a more defensive role. I've got to say, Ngakia is all action, I think, and you re- you really notice him. The quality of Kiko is phenomenal. He is a cut above. He really is. Just his touch, his awareness, his movement, everything looks so easy to him. And I, and I think he's so difficult to play against. I think it must be so disheartening to play against, effectively, yesterday, a left-back of his quality. He's not a left-back, but that's where he played yesterday. So defensively, he's he's decent. But then kick-starting other play and moving forward, and he's just so good. Um, and I think he could be an absolute low-key hero this season. I just think he, he stands head and shoulders above so many others when it comes to his quality. I really think it's worth making that point. And Gakir is all action and I think he's, he's, he's brilliant and a, a very, very shrewd signing was great again yesterday. But I do think just an extra bit of praise for, for Kiko, just his, his quality. And, and as Jason said, he's, he's, he's knuckled down and he's got on with it, probably not where he anticipated playing his football this year. Um, and we're quick to criticise players for perhaps who don't look like they're, they're enjoying their football so much. He has just been the consummate, ultimate professional, and I've, I've loved watching him so much this season. Well, that's interesting. So they're definitely going to be top, top middle. They're not, they're not definitely... We're not, no, one, no one's saying they're, they're, de- they're definitely the, the best players on the pitch. Who's ahead, though, Jason? Is, it, is Jeremy going to be ahead of, of Kiko, in, if you put them as a pair? Oh, on on, on the game on yesterday. On yesterday's game, that's a that's a that's a tough call. Let's let Jeremy take some plaudits for once. Let's okay. put him ahead of Kiko. To the middle of them, not ahead of them, but they might be ahead of them in this countdown. Was the the midfield uh, in the centre uh, Garner and Chalabar? Now Garner, Jason, I think had one of his best games. Just was a little rabbit. Was really part of that pressing of, of Preston. And, and Chalabar was well, one of his best games, wasn't he? Let's start with Garner. What I liked about Garner yesterday was the maturity of his performance. Mm. He's he's still a young lad. He's not had much experience at all of playing um, competitive professional football. It's it's been with us, hasn't it, on on loan uh, after playing in the reserve leagues for Manchester United. But there were a couple of moments yesterday that could have affected him in in quite a bad way. He got an early yellow card for what was quite a, a late challenge. Maybe could have even been worse if, if VAR had taken a look at it in the Premier League, you never know. That could have affected him. And also the deflection where he's he probably won't be happy with the fact that he, if he watches that again, he sort of jumps up and he's turned his back on it. Obviously then gone off his back and gone in the bottom corner again. That could have affected him mentally, but he, he didn't let that happen. He sort of carried on with his game. Quite sensible. With the early yellow card, he could quite easily in that, that sort of rabbit-like performance where he's sort of racing around, getting stuck into challenges. He wasn't sort of reckless in those challenges. He was he was sensible. He was thinking about it. I think I saw on at least a couple of occasions where you can see he's going towards the ball and then actually he's, he's held back with the challenge and thought, no, I'm not, I'm not going to win that. I'm risking a, a card here. I'm just going to pull out and, yeah, go again. And then on top of all of that, I thought the set pieces yesterday were, were better. The Bristol City game where you had the opportunity to put some decent set pieces into the box weren't so good. 
yesterday the quality of the delivery was good the variety of the the delivery was good we saw the um well worked set piece where pedro had the goal disallowed for offside um he executed that well and then obviously ultimately the one that ended up with pedro scoring where a near post corner that worked with the flick on fantastic mm. stuff and chalabar top performance from him yesterday wasn't it i think mm. and get the early bits out of the way first there were a couple of moments early on where i thought he let a man drift past him a couple of times but once he got that out of the system it was fantastic from him he he had he had a job to do and again yesterday I talked about Preston the way they were set up no natural fullbacks I believe and, and very little natural width in their team we only had two midfielders in that supposed 4-4-2 and you think the midfield could become very congested with the way Preston are playing and we could very well get overrun but that just didn't happen at all the intensity the commitment to the press as a team and for Chalibur to to be part of that was was huge as I said he had that responsibility to drop in with the central defenders when the fullbacks were attacking but then he also got himself forward in an attacking sense as well when he needed to just the the common sense again the maturity the thought about his play we all know what he's capable of we saw the best of him pre-injury when he sort of first joined us as a, as a Premier League player when he came back to the club uh, and I think we're getting close to those performances again now and then of course culminating with the goal um, it was a lovely move I don't know oh, why I beautiful. love a one-two goal an excellent flick from Deeney not not something you not Troy Deeney Deeney is known for <laughs> it's not Troy Deeney-esque a lovely flick and just the fact that 4-4-2 is seen as, as quite a structured formation I talked about Chalibur's role in sort of having to drop back into the back three but here he is in an advanced position in the field and then just that that movement that sort of thinking right I'm going to lay it off to Troy and I'm going to go again I'm going to mm. get beyond the striker give something else to the Preston guys to think about here Preston what are you going to do how are you going to deal with this and they didn't and the the finish he sort of fell over as he hit it didn't he perhaps there's a little bit of luck involved but right right in the corner that was it was really really noticeable the celebrations that was from all the the home games I've been at that was by far and away the most exuberant celebrations from from the Watford side obviously because it was a, a crucial goal and it, it it put that two two goal cushion between us again so in the context of the game it was important it was a a fabulous, fabulous goal, beautifully worked as Jason's just explained there. But I think the reason it was so popular was because it was was Chalabar. He's, you know, we've been critical, and I think rightly, rightly so. I think he, he he's he's been in and out of games and has made mistakes. But seeing the team celebrate, they were loud, they were cheering, whooping, hollering, and and it, that may sound obvious, but it hasn't been like that. And the fact that they were all so delighted for him, evidently, was just fabulous to see it just gives you that lovely warm feeling that this is a team playing together that we've we've suspected perhaps you know a team less than the sum of its parts in 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 some performances well it felt like things were clicking in the other direction little things like that I think are quite instructive and I, I might be reading too much into it but hopefully they can kick on and Chalabar was two feet taller after that goal he he played well up until that point but after that I thought he was absolutely imperious he he looked he literally two foot taller. He was he was he was standing up straighter. He was fizzing passes. He was snapping into tackles even more, and it was just so evident. And I think that goal obviously gave the the team confidence. It gave Chalabar uh, confidence, and it really 
lit the touch paper for a quite fr frankly exhilarating 20 minutes just so so pleased for for Chalabar so pleased that he, it was celebrated in that way and I'm really hopeful that that will, will will be a springboard for him and a springboard for the team in as much as right if we play together if we gamble we go for it we're positive we can really achieve some stuff but sticking to 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 Chalo as they all call him on on the pitch absolutely thrilled for him brilliant finish Brilliant performance. Great stuff. Do you think it benefits Chalabar not playing alongside Kapu, whereby he becomes the more senior member of that midfield? Possibly. I don't think I can definitely say that. I mean, he definitely has had his better games when Kapu wasn't playing. Well, let's wait and see if yeah. um, if um, if Kapu comes back and how he performs. But it's hard to say. But what I do know is that we need to see more of yesterday's Nathaniel Chalabar. And I think a lot of that's down to him to work it out, I guess. One of our listeners, let us know at Watford Podcast. Is Chalo better without Kapu? Yeah, Nathaniel Chalabar's mother didn't come to the changing room until uh, the players <laughs> yeah. say his name in full. Uh, so I'm going to put Garner, Garner just below Jeremy and Kiko, but great performance. And I think, well, let, let's, let's put Chalabar near the top. Let's see if he can Definitely. get the number one spot. Hey, let's see there, pop pickers. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. The two players, I think, that have had compared their games to last Saturday to this Saturday, the most improved. One, Zar, who I think is, he had a really off day on, when, on Wednesday against Bristol City. Just was nowhere near his best. For him, but particularly, I think, for Queener, he is almost in exactly the same position he played in against QPR. I think he grew into the game and got better and better. I think the difficulty on, on Wednesday was we didn't, get him involved enough. I think that he has to take some responsibility for that. Go and get the ball, make things happen. You've got the pace to do it. So I think he was a little bit guilty on Wednesday of um, uh, sticking too much to his guns and not, not influencing the game. Whereas I thought this week against Preston, he did, he did grasp the metal a little bit more. And I think maybe that comes from seeing the team gel a little bit more and being a bit more bit more composed and a bit more direct and a bit more focused so I think he he grew into the game I mean he's just such an enormous threat isn't he I think that's the frustration we we have his pace his skill we saw he you know he he won uh in inverted commas the penalty didn't he because his his movement and in pace was 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 too much really for the defenders to cope with and we know that, that that's the that's the situation with him and I think on one hand we have to be aware you have to contextualize his situation you know he he moved over had a very difficult season for a number of reasons last year there's been a lot of uh, speculation about him he's still very young i'm not sure what his what his language the grasp of the language is you know family and friends probably still a bit thin on the ground over, over here so it's tough for a young man with a huge price tag and a lot of speculation on his shoulders in a team which playing the formation changes a lot and hasn't really been attacking uh, minded whatever Rivich says we haven't looked great at attacking in, in a lot of games so a lot of things a lot of uh, mitigating factors for, for Ismail Assar but of course he's a professional footballer we played a lot of money for and we can all see what, what he can do being a little bit reductive to say it but the bottom line is he's too good for, I would say, 99% of, of defenders in the championship. 
if not a hundred, if not a hundred percent. He's he's too quick, he's too skillful, and he's too good. I'm just desperate to see him tangible impact on the game because I think that will do him the power of good. And if we've got a happy Saar, we're going to have a happy team and even happier supporters. I just that it was it was pleasing to see the assist for the first goal yesterday because yeah, sometimes brilliant. if there is a if there is a criticism of Saar, it's that the end product perhaps doesn't match the potential talent that we talk about um, but that yeah that cross for the for Keener's goal was Fabulous. absolutely bang on the money it was nothing that the press and guys could do to defend it and just on a plate for Keener at the back post to, to tuck in it was uh, yeah lovely to see so Zar above Jeremy and Kiko I think so I think an assist well two assists really because the cross for the uh, first goal fouled for the penalty and just the threat he he provides and just the way he stuck to it I thought was uh, was was admirable he's, he's just some player isn't he and I suppose I'm I'm wanting to put before we even talk about him I want to put Queener like up there with with Chalibur Jason to, that, for that consideration the top three I agree another good performance from Keeney yesterday again he's one who earlier on in the season perhaps disappointed a little but mm. I, I think yesterday it, it perhaps a, a tough ask for him because he was sort of being played as a as a wide man in that four four two, where perhaps not as attacking as he's used to and uh, wider than he's used to. Um, I think the issue around perhaps the, the the lack of an attacking position was nullified by the fact that we were as a team on the front foot from the from the off, which allowed him to be in more advanced positions. As I said earlier, I was worried him being a right foot having to play wide left was going to be a problem, but not at all. Um, I, I just thought he he brought to the table what we know he can do in terms of sort of his quick feet, his ability to sort of twist and turn. He tied the uh, sort of press and defence in in knots at times. His passing was a lot better. I think he's been guilty of not playing the right final ball at times, but I thought his passing was smart. Again, I talked about mature performances, all podcasts. I think from him, it was the same. He he wasn't making the wrong decisions that we've seen he made earlier in the season. Um, and just that partnership with Kiko down the left, I thought worked really well where I was sort of before game, I was I was worried about it. And I talked about Barcusian being forced to stay back on the left-hand side. Scott Sinclair, who's a player that Watford fans will know, probably the, the most recognisable name on that, that team sheet, even though he's sort of getting on a bit now, says me. Um, <laughs> he was forced to to sit back a lot. I thought he was going to be their main threat, but no, he, he spent most of his time having to defend. That's down to the threat that that Kiko and Keener pairing was was causing down the left-hand side. On to the front three. Can they push their sales forward to compete with Chalabar and Queener for our top three? But the front three, I don't think we can really consider Andre Gray. He didn't play for long enough. That's really to make the top 10 after so many good performances. So, so unfortunately, Andre, we're just going to leave you out. But did start the show some good stuff, didn't he, Mike? Yeah, and I, I, he's done it before. I love the way that he, and it's probably not what you want to see from his drive, but the way he, he gets, he can get to the byline. He's got this little move where he sort of scoops it past the defender. And he did he did that once. And that was, that was good to see. It shows he's sort of still confident he did have a a chance where he turned it was it was a difficult one on the edge of the box a, a good build up play and it came to him and he turned and sort of snapped at it a little bit and it and it went wide and it, it wasn't quite dropping for him so again you know after a poor performance on Wednesday some flashes here but when you know that one chance if that had flown in it would have been you know he's up and running but it, it didn't quite happen and 
we saw enough from him. I thought I think him and Deeney is something that is going to be worth revisiting. I hope his injury isn't isn't bad. He came straight off. There was no questions asked. But I think him and Troy up front, I think they feed off each other, and I think it's something that we could hopefully revisit. I think it could be a, a damaging centre-forward partnership, which could be good. Gia Pedro uh, also played most of the game because Andre went off. Uh, and and he's, he's a certainly a player I don't think we've really got to know that well. And if you are a subscriber to The Athletic, then uh, on Monday... You might be listening to this on Monday. It could be Tuesday. It might be Sunday. Anyway, there is an article that Adam has written all about Jao Pedro and his early years growing up in Brazil. Uh, and you get to hear from the people who know him best and watched him develop. So a piece where you can hopefully understand Jao Pedro a bit better because we really haven't heard from him at all. Where are you going to put him in this, uh, this top 10? Jason, he did some good stuff. He did score the goal. But in terms of his overall performance and what he added to the team, can you put him above Zar, Jeremy and, and Kiko and Garner? Yeah, I don't think you put him above those guys. It was it was an intriguing performance. Mm. I see it just just him and Deeney being a partnership. I think that that almost excites me, especially given yeah. what we saw from from Deeney, who we'll talk about in a minute yesterday as well. Um I, it, it's, it's, it feels like a more complete or the potential to be a more complete partnership because of what both players can can bring to the table. We, we, we've seen more standout performances from Pedro earlier in the season when he's been that sort of lone striker uh, and he's sort of been that more, vo- that more focal point where he's had to do the, the hold-up piece, he's the man breaking the line, he's having to do it all and he's got that in his locker and to see that being put in place alongside another striker and the potential for the damage that can, that can cause to the opposition that that's quite exciting for me i think as a partnership obviously that's a that's very much in its in its early stages with troy perhaps with andre being injured we'll get the opportunity to see that again in the coming weeks i don't think we got the complete performance from from Xiao yesterday perhaps he has been off the the boil a little bit in recent games but you can't deny his his effort and his application mm. he's he's a young lad he still wants to get involved and I think we saw that again yesterday but and perhaps with the the the, the, the um, standout performances we've seen from the the other players meant that he didn't have to shine as much or or wasn't allowed to shine as much because he wasn't that focal point of the uh, of the attacking attacking phases so to speak what i loved from him was his he was intent on moving forward keeping the ball moving keeping getting forward and there were little um he was rolling defenders he was laying the ball off and moving and it didn't always come off but it was just the intent from him and he's obviously so skilled he felt so bright and nimble um and it felt almost like he was he had wednesday ringing in his ears a little bit where he didn't have a great game and he felt a lot fresher for me here and I, I think he whilst the sort of impact on the end product you know he obviously scored is perhaps questionable as I think you were saying there Jason but his intent and just the way he dragged defenders around and was and was skillful and I just felt he was trying to move it forward all the time which is something that Watford have have failed to do we've looked sluggish in in, in transitioning from from back to front haven't we and he was always trying to do something he was always trying to do it quickly he was always trying to ask a question of a defender and I it didn't always come off and um, he was having to come quite deep a lot of the time but I think that just the way he he, he stuck to that and from the minute he came on I thought he was focused on 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 doing that, stretching the play, trying to move things on, and and I thought that was admirable and really really caught my eye. 
And again, that article will be out on Monday on The Athletic to find out about the, the history, however short it might be, uh, of uh, João Pedro. Mr. Troy Deeney, Mike, you know, the, the, the hope for his return was him to be the Troy Deeney we know, physical, imposing his views on the referee, imposing his, his desire and his passion on the players. You were at the ground. Hmm. You probably heard him more than you've ever heard Troy Deeney. How was he? Did he really have the impact beyond a lovely dink to Chalabar and a very hard hit penalty? It was a lovely dink and it was an incredibly hard hit uh, penalty. There was audible sort of gasps and winces in by the assembled sort of media and press team as they as they hit it. I think they powered the floodlights from that shot for the rest <laughs> of the uh, for the rest of the game. But it's easy to say sort of leadership and 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 what Troy brings to the to the team in in that sort of respect because he's chest beating and you know obvious but he is and it's important and it's noticeable so this Watford team is not a vocal side you hear from Ben Foster throughout which is which is come on the boys yeah it's my it's my good lad good lad (laughs) love that love that take one in the face take one in the face I don't want to save this free kick is basically what he's saying take it in the face so Ben Foster's vocal the rest of them are quiet um William Truce Kong is 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 noticeable he's he's noisy as well but the rest of them are quiet Troy Deeney is not quiet, and that makes a difference. Um, He is helpful. He's talking to players. He's pointing. He's showing where he wants it. He's reminding players of what their responsibilities um, should be. Mentioned earlier, Cathcart and um, uh, Cabaselli and the potential penalty incident. Straight on them. He's not berating. He's shouting, concentrate, focus, concentrate, focus, perhaps with a few... Um, slightly more uh, exuberant words thrown in uh, just for emphasis. So he is talking to his teammates. He is, a, he is an audible captain. That makes a massive difference. Those of the, the 2,000 uh, supporters who are there for the next game will notice this, I think. They will, you can hear a lot and it makes a massive difference. And he's, it's, it's non-stop and it's important. It reminds the players of, of what they should be doing. It gives them that little nudge the skipper's saying this so come on let's do it i need to need to prove myself um and the the opposition hear it as well and you know this is the 11th season in a row now that that what uh, troy deeney scored for watford the opposition know who troy deeney is and just to hear him being there they're like oh we've got a battle on here because this is deeney up front uh and you can talk until the cows come home about about limitations but you saw uh, i saw firsthand the material, visceral value that that Troy Deeney brings to brings to Watford. You know, he is the captain in every every sense of the word. Yesterday, organising, vocal, and smashed his penalty, and was also strong on himself. He was he berated himself a couple of times when he missed that that header, which he really should have scored after giving him all that that praise. He smashed his hand on the uh, on the um, on the uh, on the post. He was very critical of himself, uh, very loudly and uh, very swearily. But it just shows, you know, he's in the game and he's giving everything while while he's out there. And I absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. Shouting, charging around, effort, skill, end product, captain. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Loved it. That is the Troy Deeney that, we, that we're going to need this season. Uh, and it's, it's just so evident what he, what he brings to the team. It's 
I, I can't speak highly enough of him yesterday. Absolutely fantastic. So, Jason, it's up to you. <laughs> this is coming a top two. You, you, you guys. You know, Queenie was up there. I'm putting him third. You just weren't. You talked far more positively and having impact on the game about Chalabar and Dini. But Jason, who's one? Who's two? Is it Chalabar one for this game? Is it Dini one for this game? Chalabar one. Let's have yeah. Chalabar one. Agreed. It's a feel-good story, I think, for Chalaba. Just we know sort of where he's come from, and where he is now, and where he was yesterday, and and just hope that this this Chalaba carries on for the rest of the season. Um, and like Mike said, Troy should have bloody scored that header. <laughs> <laughs> from the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. Before yesterday's game, Mike caught up with Adam Leventhal, the Watford correspondent for The Athletic. For those who haven't already listened to, please go and listen to our podcast from Thursday, Dukes and a Draw. Uh, we talk about the Bristol City game, of course, but the, a massive part of that is the fact that we hear from Abdi Decore, uh, one of Adam's interviews. But Mike caught up with Adam to find out what's been going on in the slightly wider world of Watford and who else he's been speaking to for The Athletic. Adam, we found out in the week that Watford, like so many other clubs, had been uh, victim to COVID with three first-team players unavailable. What sort of impact do you think it has on, on Watford currently? And, and this is widespread across the, across the Football League at the moment. Yeah, I think it's, it's going to be a story that unfortunately runs and runs throughout the rest of this season because it's, it's highly likely that young, fit footballers aren't going to be top of the list when the, the vaccine is eventually rolled out. It's something that has to be basically just dealt with. The background to it is interesting in the timing because obviously when everyone returned from the last international break, there was that big band of testing. So all clubs that haven't been testing on a regular basis tested everyone. And it seems as if that's when those have been picked up because I remember speaking to some people at the club earlier on in the season and it was very distinct to switch from how things were done in the Premier League where they were testing at least at least once a week and now it's more down to as you would you know at home amongst you know our families if you've got symptoms you go and have a test and that's how they've been operating so it's obviously very unfortunate for those involved and the club were very sort of clear in the fact that they weren't going to name the players I mean I think it is very clearly apparent the players that are affected are the ones that have been missing and you can do it by a process of elimination you know like guess who I think it's quite right that you know you don't name names etc but you saw it with Watford you saw it with Bristol City they've been hit by it as well and it will just keep on happening and it's something that you have to deal with and I think the clubs that have bigger deeper squads you know you look at Watford missing the likes of Etienne Capu and Ken Semmer and Will Hughes and Tom Cleverley and Glenn Murray on the game against Bristol City there were still plenty of other players to come in if you took you know big senior players out of other squads like that they'd be really really struggling so I think that Watford are in in a decent position to be able to deal with these absentees that will invariably happen over the course of the season. One of the better bits of news regarding the the, the pandemic, the COVID outbreak across the across the world is of course that supporters in some areas can come back. Tier two and tier one can can welcome um, supporters back. Obviously most clubs are uh, there's only clubs in tier two at the moment or tier three, no one in tier one. So 2,000 supporters coming back. What is your feelings on that, Adam? And, you know, there has been also been a couple of uh, managers moaning that it's not really fair. But I think as you alluded to a moment ago, this 
it hasn't been fair really for a long time. It's a diff- fair is the wrong word. It's a difficult situation for every club for a, for a lot of different reasons, isn't it? Yeah, I can, look, I can understand there is ultimately an argument to say whatever tier your region is in, you should still be able to come and watch football in an outdoor arena, socially distanced, you know, massive spaces around you, especially in big stadiums like we're, the one that we're sat in at the moment. I mean, this isn't even the biggest, obviously. This is quite a small stadium, but... You know, 2,000 people rattling around Old Trafford would be would be farcical, but it's going to happen. But, yeah, I, look, I can understand why, why some managers think that it's going to give them a, a disadvantage. But I think everyone's got used to playing in these alien circumstances. And when fans come back, it's not going to be like you've got a full sort of full force of your home support behind you. It's going to be a little bit more responsive, the environment that you're playing in, which will be great. And it will be... It will give it just an, an extra little bit of motivation and a, a little bit more adrenaline. And I think that that's a good thing, especially for people like Troy Deeney, who has said himself that, you know, he doesn't quite fancy playing in empty stadiums. He did that when he was 18, 19 years old. I'm not sure how wise his words were, incidentally, talking about that. That's, because, on, the, that's on the Instagram post from, from Watford, right? Yeah, exactly. It was, it, was a, it was a quote that was posted the other day. I don't know what the background to it was, but I think the premise was, look, this is great news, fans are coming back. But he was basically saying that the fans, when they're not here, it does sort of make it... He used the word boring. You know, it's boring. We don't want to be playing in stadiums like this. He likes to get the sort of the to and fro with the fans. And I can understand that, but it does also make you... S- think when you're piecing together a jigsaw of why Watford weren't so good after Project Restart you think were you not that up for it then (laughs) you know and and that's that's not a criticism that is just piecing things together and going it really had an impact yeah it's the the reality isn't it we've been hearing it and it has been a a hard watch for a number of reasons but it it isn't football as we know it without without the supporters so we're looking forward to them, them coming back. Do you think, in terms of a material impact, we can, we can expect an uplift? I know the players will, will enjoy it more. 2,000 people can still make a din. It can echo around. I'm really looking forward to it. Intrigued to see what it's going to be like. But do you think it will make a material impact for these guys? I think so. Yeah, I mean, you know, and we've been here right from the start after Project Restart. And in some of the really sort of um, important games towards the end of last season... There was a decent amount of noise just coming from, you know, the yeah. benches and the support staff and things like that. And you've got, you've got sometimes you've got ground staff sat over in the Graham Taylor stand and, and things like that. So there is noise that is generated. So when you do get 10,000 fans in here, you've got 500 at, you know, Vicarage Road. 2,000. What did I say? 10,000. Oh, 10,000. Sorry. Thinking. Yeah, wishful thinking. 2,000 can sound like 10,000. That's what you mean. Especially here at Watford. <laughs> but, you know, you've got 500 in each stand. Then yeah, that's that's going to be that's going to be good. When they initially said that there was going to be um, fans coming back, that, that it was going to be spread around the stadium, I'm not sure if they're going to designate one stand where they're going to have 2,000. But I, I guess they'll spread them as much as they can around the stadium, which yeah. I think is good. That makes sense. I'm looking forward to it. I know there's been uh, 2,000 supporters very excited. I'm looking forward to seeing just the faces of people who are able to get back here to Vicarage Road to see. The, most Watford supporters have not seen a Vladimir Ivic team take to the field. They haven't seen Watford play in this kit. There's so many things that, um, that you and I have been, been privy to that, that, that so many people haven't. So I'm excited and, and thrilled that people are finally going to be able to see football. What's the one thing, if you were coming back for the first time, what would you be most looking forward to? Or what's the one thing you'd make sure you did? Oh, that's a difficult one. I think, you know, and I've done it a couple of times on social media, the walk-up Occupation Road 
especially for the night games when you see the glimmer of the lights ahead of you and you know that you're going to be in there obviously there's not going to be as much sort of aroma around I, I remember you know back in the day it would always be the cigar smoke and the you know and the the frying of the onions on the way in and things you, can't, like that. you can't smell it with your mask on anyway no exactly so yeah so don't worry about that but you know it's just those it's just the sort of the evocative things that are so sort of special but 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 i would say as a little bit of a word of warning as well you know when fans do come back be prepared that it does feel at times it feels quite soul destroying yes coming to football being part of a crowd a full vicarage road is is something to behold but it's not like that at the moment and and i'd almost it's just almost like a bit of a word of warning to just sort of yes Absolutely. it's going to be great it's going to be great to to have fans back and hopefully that will grow and grow and grow but just be prepared for a mix of emotions at times i would yeah. say but but also one other thing you know you mentioned you know a lot of fans haven't seen vladimir Ivich and haven't sort of seen what he does and a team in the flesh remember him as well and the manager and the players that have come they've not had any fans here they've not had any feedback they've not had any support they've not had any you know go on they've not had any sort of a player that's dawdling on the ball go on get Absolutely. on with it you know yeah, so yeah. it makes such a difference so th there's so many elements to having fans back that, that are you know are, are great and, are, and hopefully will have a positive impact on on Watford ready to play your part just very quickly Adam um someone who played their part for a long time here at Watford was was Adrian Mariapa um part of the Bristol City squad now yeah. obviously uh, and you managed to speak to him this week in a in a piece for the Athletic. How was Mr. Mariapa? Well, it was it was great to speak to him. He was he was well. Um, he's a very he's a very diplomatic person. So the opportunity to speak to him wasn't going to necessarily be one where he comes out all guns blazing and says you know this that and whatever about the the club that he he knows and loves. That's the key thing. You know this is his club. He you know started when he was nine years old used to come and watch on the terraces he's got a lot of friends here a lot of staff that work here are still his friends and um i think he was very conscious of that when he was talking and i i also wanted to speak to him about some other things how you know he had dealt with the farewell but also how he dealt with being a free agent you know training with a former strength and conditioning coach matt springham who, who used to work at watford and how he prepared himself and and he's just a he's a He's such a pro and that obviously came through when he was playing and that's why he made such a, a bond with the with the Watford fans over the years that he was always a consistent performer yes he had a few dodgy times of late scoring the own goal against Brighton and all that sort of stuff but he, he wasn't alone no exactly yeah he was in good company it was great to catch up with him just learn a little bit more about him as a as a person you know we talked about him being a vegan and all, and all this sort of stuff so I hope that people enjoy the read one piece of good news that I, I think comes from the from the article is that yes there's been silence and Scott Duxbury obviously apologized about yeah we didn't quite get that right but as I understand it the event that got cancelled when he was supposed to be having his 10-year sort of celebration dinner that may well happen so it, I think there will be an opportunity in the future for there to be a proper farewell and I suppose this piece is almost like a bridge to that and he's able to speak about his passion for the club and his professionalism, and he deals it deals with it with dignity. and And I, I really enjoyed it, and I hope people enjoy it as well. So they can, you know, check out my social media. It's all, all the links are there. So check it out and enjoy it. Go find that piece on the Athletic, all about Adrian Mariapi. Another great exclusive interview from 
Adam, you know where to get it, The Athletic. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. Mark and Adam spoke about the the return to Vicarage Road and, and how fans are really looking forward to going back even with their advice it, it might be a little strange but just to sort of get ready for that to mark this occasion of us, us going back to Vicarage Road we decided to ask the From the Rookery End gang and, and some of our, our friends to tell us and remind us of what is fantastic about going to Vicarage Road what they miss and, and sort of what they're looking forward to when they finally get back to the home of the Hornets I miss the colourful language when everyone shouts at the referee, the songs, the cheering when we score a goal and when Andy picks me up and starts jumping all over the place and screams, yeah! And at the end, when we win. What I've missed the most about being at Vicarage Road each week has been the butterflies the nerves and the anticipation that bubble up inside as I walk into the ground, knowing that quite literally anything can happen. And then what does happen, I will get to share with thousands of other people who on any other day of the week, I wouldn't know from Adam. I wouldn't be able to pick them out of a lineup. But for those 90 minutes, there will be this sense of camaraderie between us all. I know we will be bonded by 11 men in shorts running around a field in the depths of winter, which when you take that out of context is completely bananas. It's a madness that I've really missed, that I love. I can't wait to get those butterflies back. My favourite thing about going to Vicarage Road, all the memories that it invokes, taking your seat and looking around the ground and remembering all the times you've been there, going there with my mum when I was a kid, going there with my friends when I was a teenager... And then going again later in life with my own daughters, seeing them enjoy football and enjoy Watford and, and sharing those moments with them. So for me, that's, that's really the very special thing about going to Vicarage Road is really the memories that it invokes and the fact that it's still part of the present, which is uh, fantastic and, and I assume part of the future as well for us and maybe for my grandchildren and so on. So, and the ground has a very special place in my life. The things I miss most about Vicarage Road is being sat with my dad and brother and experiencing the highs and lows of the game. The banter with Harry and Ray who sit behind us. The pre-match walk to the ground from the West Hearts Club and going to my favourite programme cellar. And lastly, the post-match dive into the Hornet shop to see what new items await while we often bump into our cousins and chew the fat. 
It's funny because the thing I actually miss, I think, the most is one of the things that used to annoy me. Mum always insists on parking so far away to avoid the traffic. And I just think, why has she done this? Because I'm a lot lazier than her. But then I would actually end up enjoying the walk, seeing the familiar sights, the same old conversation. Should we get fish and chips? No, that's a bad idea. Bumping into people, mum's friends from work, mum seems to know everyone in Watford. Getting a programme, getting inside and then seeing the people that we've sat with for my whole life. Whether now it's their children that sit there, it's just familiar faces. And we used to, we would get donuts at half time when it's someone's birthday. Cheap, bad for you donuts. But what I wouldn't give to be sharing those with all those people at half time once again. Or doing the last minute dash when it's your birthday and you realise you've forgotten your donuts. It's the people. It's meeting up with John at the railway for a pint before the game, strolling down the back, approaching the stadium via that new road they've made, diving into the bunker with the 1881 and having a few tins there, meeting up with Colin outside, maybe Mike's there as well, if he's there on time, getting inside, rushing up to the seat, maybe I'll be sitting next to one of the From the Rookery End crew, maybe I'll be sitting next to a complete stranger, whoever it is, it's all part of the experience. I miss being with the people that share that love of Watford. Perhaps the only part of it that I don't miss is standing outside the Hornet shop on a cold December's evening with no gloves and thin socks, freezing my bollocks off whilst recording a podcast. But apart from that, I miss being with all the people. I miss the rituals on a Saturday when we go down to Vicarage Road from making the flask of tea before we leave home to the walk to the ground which cannot change to the way we sit in our seats the half-time lucky chocolate the 55-minute polo mint it's all part of the Watford DNA and I really miss it and I cannot wait to be back there I miss lots of things all the sights and smells and, and people and stuff like everybody else but the one thing I think would be that moment just before the referee's whistle for kick-off where everyone's attention is finally on the game. You finish your chats, you finish your conversations, you're, or perhaps you stop your chats and your conversations and you're eating your food and drinking your drink and whatever, and suddenly your focus is completely on what's in front of you. And the referee blowing his whistle doesn't signify that. It almost signifies that everyone's ready. Everyone's already watching by that point. It's that moment of silence before the referee blows his whistle. That's what I'm looking forward to the most. Is that first glimpse of the pitch on a match day for me is when I walk up the stairs from the concourse in the rookery come out of the dark and you see all the, the green pitch and all the players on the pitch and the, and the fans and it's uh, the anticipation I think of a couple of hours of probably uh, frustration and mediocrity but the hope that it will be excitement and uh, three points for the Hornets I'm looking forward to just seeing Watford play again really I haven't seen them play in ages come on you on I missed going to see Watford play I missed going to Vicarage Road but I wasn't quite sure why and I wasn't sure how much until I listened to all those people tell me why they missed Vicarage Road uh, it really has sort of I wanted to go back for one of these games I know there's a ballot and the chances are that I, I might it's not a, a high chance. It's not. It's the ch- same chance as everybody. But that made me really want to go next Saturday, just to go and see Vicarage Road again, soak up something of what they've talked about. We know it's not all going to be there because it was the people, really, is what it comes down to, uh, and the large number of people that most of those responses talked about. But and the thing I miss the most is, is very similar to Matt Rowson's. It's the silence 
before mm-hmm. a shot is taken. That's the silence of a huge crowd where they all hold their breath. Home and away fans, when you think there's a chance of a goal and they shoot, there's a silence. And if you can hear the ball kick as, as, you know, as well, it's just, it's, that's my favourite thing. The, the, and those moments, as, as Kate sort of talked about, the togetherness that you get at a crowd. And that's what I miss, I think, the most. What about you, Jason? For me, it's those first few beats of Zed cars. So you sort of, of, on the day of a game, you kind of psych yourself up to it. You sort of walk up to the ground, you're in, you say hellos to everyone and a little bit of chat before the game. But you sort of hear those first few beats of Zed cars. The the guys are walking out to the pitch, decked in Hornets yellow. And sort of everyone, if you're not already standing up, everyone seems to get up, stand up, welcome the players onto the pitch. And it's that music that... To me, that just signifies that's Watford. That's Watford coming out to the pitch, getting ready for the game. It doesn't mean anything else to me. You don't hear that anywhere else. That that music will forget Goodison Park. The the fact that it has this specific meaning in my life, it just sort of makes the the hairs stand up on the back of my neck. It, re- it really does, because it, it's that anticipation. Because at that moment, anything could happen. Doesn't matter if we're playing Manchester City, Millwall, or Morecambe. We got ninety minutes of football ahead of us. Who knows what those 90 minutes will bring? Mike, you've been to the, the home games, every single one of them, uh, since uh, lockdown, yeah. first lockdown finished. Um, what particularly have you missed? You've got to see the game, you've got to see the ground, you've got to see everything else, but what do you think you've missed the most? Just listening to that, that audio, John, uh, it made me feel really quite emotional, actually, and it actually made me feel a bit silly for being cross about the the Bristol City game, about being cross about any game really, because you listen to those words and they're not words, they're spoken with true feeling and emotion and depth. Everyone that spoke about what Watford and going to the football means to them really, really meant it. It is so important to so many people. And I think the thing, yes, I've been at the games, but and as always, I feel hugely lucky to be there and I'll never, ever take that for granted. But it's it's nowhere near the same because what I miss is uh, is making memories and everything about the football, everything about going to Watford is intertwined with memories and making memories, whether it's friends like you guys or or family. And I think everyone has a family tale to tell and, you know, I can't go to the game without thinking about going with my brother and dad, you know, as a as a wide-eyed kid and my dad taking me. Um, and just the, the wonderful bond that, that, that Watford has given me and my immediate family uh, and, and, and the gift that is given, given, that given to us. And as our friend Dylan took an, an amazing photo, I think it was after Villa last year, and I don't get to sit with Arlo most of the times at the moment because of, of, of work. But there's a picture when uh, Arlo just came running up to me after the game and just jumped mm, into yeah. my arms. Uh, we'd won 3 0. And just that excitement, being able to share that with my son and thinking back to uh, the, the memories it's given me with mum and dad and my brother and my cousins and you guys. Um, I'm actually getting quite emotional now. You so, are a bit, mate. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's and and I think I think the same goes for you guys as well. Um, you know, some of us are lucky still to have our parents, for example. Some of us aren't. Um, but Watford is the thread that runs through so much for so many of us, 
um and we haven't been able, we haven't had that we haven't been able to share that and that's what i miss making those those memories thank you very much to arlo kate lewis colin john good uh, kelly summers I want a donut to Kelly. Don't care how bad they are. Uh, DCW, uh, Julie Lewis, Matt Rowson and Geordie for, for their, what they miss the most about Vicarage Road. If there is one that y- you miss, then do send it in. Podcast at fromtherookerin.com. Grab your iPhone, press the uh, voice memo app and record yourself uh, and we'll maybe play a few more of those in the coming weeks. The Hornets fans will be back at Vicarage Road next weekend for the home game against Cardiff City. It's a European match. That's what we're going back to Vicarage Road for. Um, and well, let's see if we can start some more memories uh, that we have been creating for many, many years. Thank you very much, Mike, for your time. No worries. Come on, you Hornets. And thank you, Jason. Thank you. And we'll be back with another podcast after the Nottingham Forest game in the week where we'll, we'll hopefully speak to Adam with a bit more detail about his chat with one Adrian Mariak. Make sure you subscribe to Athletic. Go to theathletic.com forward slash end and follow us on social media at What for Podcast on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. Come on, you on! <laughs>